to this week's uh, Alpha Architect Weekly Summary. As always, we got Dr. Jack Vogel here with us. We'll be taking you through two papers this week. The first one that we're going through, it was written by Jack. It's how large is the tracking error created by trend following? And the second paper that we're gonna go through is uh, constructing long only multi-factor strategies, portfolio blending versus signal blending. And, and that was done uh, by uh, some researchers from Goldman Sachs Asset Management. So we'll start with the first post. How large is the tracking error created by trend following. Um, so Jack, you, you open it up with a great question for investors to ask themselves. If you could go back in time five years ago and tell yourself something about investing, what would it be? So the answer you gave, Jack, was tracking error. And as you did in the paper, we'll start with what is tracking error? Yeah, so tracking error, you know, at a high level, um, it is how much you deviate from a benchmark, right? And so, you know, you can mathematically compute this and say, really, it's like the standard deviation of the difference of returns, okay? But, you know, tracking error at a high level is, um, you know, besides the mathematical explanation I just gave you and the high-level number at which you get, you know, you can think of it as if the market's up 15% and you're up 5%, you're losing by 10%. So at, at some level, like you can think of tracking error in, in that aspect. So yeah, just kind of what, what your difference is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and why would that be the concept you go back in time to tell yourself? Yeah, because, um, so kind of as I talk through the post, right? Um, a lot of times, you know, we had always calculated tracking error. Like that was one of our statistics that was shown to people, right? And you know, tracking error, like for, for US stocks, like for example, with trend following specifically, if you look at US international stocks as well as REITs, so these are more volatile assets, your tracking error, if you do trend following is around 10%. And so you can look at that and be like, oh, okay, it's 10%, like I can live with 10%, you know, the no pain, no gain mantra, right? But, but the 10% number, when viewed from a different lens, means something different. Right. All, oh yeah. All, all these drawdowns like volatility and all that, it, it's a lot easier to look at in back-tested numbers or back in history, right? Versus when you're actually living through it a little, you know, a little bit like we kind of are now, at least on, on the international side of things. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so, and similar to a paper you did last week, uh, you ran the portfolio returns for five asset classes with trend following. Um, and then without trend following, so you did U.S. stocks, international developed stocks, treasury bonds, REITs, and commodities. And, you know, for those that didn't see the video last week, uh, when you do that with trend following and without trend following across those five asset classes, what, what did those returns say? Yeah, so in general, the overall returns are similar. Um, standard deviations are similar, slightly less maybe for trend following because you're taking on less risk. And the maximum drawdown was smaller on the trend followed returns. And then I had given you, you know, the tracking error number of, you know, 10% for U.S. stocks. But what I then went to do is, you know, kind of say, is there another way I can view tracking? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and kind of what I did there was I said, hey, let's look at the rolling, you know, one year Kager's difference between 
just the passive buy and hold portfolio and a trend follow portfolio. Yep. And then I did that for a Kager, compound compound and annual growth rate, right? Yep. And so what I did was I just plotted the the difference between buy and hold and trend followed yep. over, you know, that 40 plus year period. And what you find is there's significant periods of underperformance on the trend followed portfolio. And that is tracking error. Right. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, view through that lens of significant times of underperformance, it's, that's something I wish I had, you know, thought about a little bit more possibly in the past. Right. So, and yeah, you know, it's, it's the old saying when, when somebody asks you, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, how, how deep is the river on average, right? If you walk across a river that's three feet deep on that deep on average, uh, you could, you could still get in a lot of trouble crossing that river if you don't know how to swim. Um, yeah. so so yeah, so with this, it's like, oh, 10% tracking error, that's not that bad, right? And then, but when you look at on a one year relative basis, like what, what were some of like the worst tracking error periods? Um, that compound well, period? yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, trend following did awesome. Like, so on a one year basis, trend following did great in the 08, 09 crash, right? But then if you fast forward like literally a year yep. from like the depths of 09, to 2010, like trend falling lost by a lot, right? Because um, relatively speaking, it was flat. And it, the market it, was you you up. missed a lot of that yeah. beginning run up, right? And then, you know, I also did like over five year, I also did five year rolling keggers or yeah. compound annual growth rates. And you see, you have like almost a 25 year period from like the mid 70s to 2000 yeah. where trend falling underperforms. And so, what that just highlights, I think, big picture is you know this is going to happen anytime you're doing something different than the benchmark so you really have to like believe and trust in the process similar to how you know you know even if you're just a buy and hold i'm going to buy 60 percent stocks 40 percent bonds you're just going to believe that that's going to do well in the future right? right yeah this this is philadelphia we we believe in trusting the process um so any any other big takeaways jack then on that paper or we pretty much hit it all no, I think we hit it. Just, uh, you know, tracking error goes both ways, right? You're going to have some times where obviously uh, the goal of a trend follow-up before or the hope is that it helps reduce drawdown. So you'd hope to outperform in a big drawdown. However, you you can also underperform in, in, in market grinds up. Got it. All right. And then so the second paper we, we took a look at this week was uh, constructing long-only multi-factor strategies, portfolio blending uh, versus signal blending. And as I said at the start, this was a summary of a paper done by researchers from Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Um, it provides a great explanation for a lot of different things uh, fund managers need to think about when they're constructing a factor fund. Uh, to start though, so Jack, what's the difference between portfolio blending and signal blending? for factor strategies. Sure, so, you know, portfolio blending, one can think of it as this way, let's just do high level, pretend you only wanna use two factors, value and momentum, yeah. right? And so, if you wanted to do it at the portfolio level, let's just say you would pick the top 20% or 30% of stocks on value, yep. the top 20, 30% of stocks on momentum, and you would form two portfolios and you would give each like, let's say 50% weight, right? So at a portfolio level, you have two separate sleeves. You have your value sleeve and your momentum sleeve. Yep. Nice right? and clean. Now signal blending would be saying, hey, I wanna pick 
a similar composition, 20, 30%, but I'm gonna look at the combined signal, right? So I'm gonna screen stocks on their value score, screen stocks on their momentum score, and try to pick stocks that do well on both of these scores, right? And so that would be an example of signal blending. Okay, and, and the main objective they were looking at to achieve in this paper was to determine if if signal if the signal blending approach was better or portfolio blending was better, um, but so high level just w what's the summary of the the past research on this according to these authors? Yeah, so the authors highlight you know there's I think three papers saying signal blending is optimal, mm -hmm. right? Then there's a new uh, newer paper it says you know portfolio or signal blending I think it's titled Much Ado About Nothing. Right, and they basically show that there's literally no difference between the two. So these authors try to, uh, you know, dig in a little bit more and say, well, which one's right? Yep. And then, and they looked at blending four factors: value, momentum, quality, and volatility. Uh, what did their findings conclude? So what they found is it's really the the correct answer is it depends. Yep. So what they actually showed was, hey, it depends on which factors you're combining, what is the level of active risk you're taking, right? And then also it's what are you trying to maximize on, right? Yep. So you're trying to maximize on information ratio. So high level they show that, and, and I, I recommend everyone, you know, kind of read the paper. There's some nice pictures uh, that where they show, you know, as, you're, as you take more active risk, possibly, you know, portfolio, or sorry, signal blending is better, but for less active portfolio blending is better. However, that's also looking at, you know, information ratio or things. And, you know, it also, they even conclude, I think, by saying that, you know, you still want to dig into the details on the portfolios, right? right. So, like, for example, um, you know, we generally advocate portfolio blending, which is value momentum separately. However, we also use signals. We use value with quality. So right. we signal blend there. And, you know, we use momentum and kind of low vol. Right. So we like signal blend and portfolio blend. So I think the the big answer, which they kind of show, is it depends. Right. But but and 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 you, there really is no perfect answer. Right. And and everybody can go read that paper as in depth as you want. But one interesting point they brought up, I think that's that's relevant to to investors trying to decipher what this all means. Um, they said, in our experience, transparency in performance attribution has become a key objective for asset owners. Transparency means that the source of risk and return embedded in the strategy is well understood. Um, and that, therefore, portfolio blending is better suited for this. And, and you kind of just hit on it, but, but reiterate again, like why that could be good. Like how, how, is, how is portfolio blending maybe more transparent? Well, it's just more transparent in that the end uh, purchaser of the strategy, right, kind of knows what they're doing. So. You know, it, like value investing, everyone like loves value investing. Or a lot of people love value investing, right? It just makes sense. You buy what's cheap. Like people do that in their everyday lives. You're always looking for a deal, right? Yep. So if you do a value strategy and do it stand on a standalone basis, right? At least you know what you're buying. Whereas when you do these multi-factor ones, sometimes it's difficult to ascertain, well, hey, wait. So value, the value part did well, but... I lost because momentum did bad, and I don't know if I really wanted momentum. Right. So having them separate at some level can be good for the, uh, I would say maybe investor behavior, right? 
where they at least understand kind of what they're buying and why they're buying it. Right. Buying buying the cheapest value stocks, the best performing momentum stocks, that's clean. If we then say we're going to buy the cheapest stocks that have gone up the most, aka momentum, that starts to get a little little more cloudy. Yeah. Right? Well, and it's it's also hard to give attribution analysis. Right. Right. So you can't yeah can't tell as well what you're doing. Exactly. Um. So I guess on on that then, do do you have any other high takeaways from that paper then? No. Just big. I mean, high level is it kind of depends on, you know, how the strategy is constructed, which they even show. Yeah. By varying the way you construct it, you get different results. Right. Okay. All right. That's what we got for this week, guys. We'll we'll see you again next week. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.